Asia Pacific currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Sunday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the thirteenth of February. I am alone this week,、uh, but both Pierre and I are actually on holidays today, so this is another pre-recorded show.、Um, but of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, all the w's dot a a w l dot org dot au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up. On those social media platforms. Now, even though Pierre's not here today, he did do the feature interview for the morning. Pierre interviewed Rick, and who has also、um, a long history of solidarity with the pro-movement in Myanmar. So this week, Pierre spoke with Rick about the significance of the coup in Myanmar and its ramifications for the situation in Thailand. But, as always, first up, news from around the region. We'll kick off the news in India, where scores of workers are dead following a dam disaster. Over 170 people are believed to have been killed when a large section of a glacier slid off a Himalayan mountainside into the Dulaganga River and triggered a massive avalanche down the valley in Uttarakhand State in northern India. This avalanche tore through two dam complexes, killing most workers on site. There are reports that up to 30 workers have been buried in a tunnel at the site of one of the hydroelectric dams and may still be alive. The area of the disaster is very mountainous and steep, and being geologically active, landslides are very common. There had been many warnings in the past about the dangers of building dams in such unstable regions. Moving now to Myanmar, where the resistance to the coup continues. Following on from last week's military coup, demonstrations and actions have continued to grow in size. There have been reports of protests all around the country, with countless workers organising workplace contingents and actions. While at the beginning, the military only stated for people to stay home and banned public gatherings, the repression is now becoming harsher to confront the growing opposition. Scores of people have been arrested. Many have been injured by rubber bullets, batons, tear gas, and water cannon. With reports coming in that there are some fatalities among the demonstrators. And moving to Australia, where unions are warning of the dangers of silicosis, the union's decade-long fight against asbestos mining and use in Australia eventually led to the banning of asbestos in Australia. Nevertheless, tens of thousands of workers and their families have died from its exposure. Now, unions are campaigning against the growing threat of silicosis, also a lung disease. Silicosis occurs when silica dust enters the lungs. The dust is generated in workplace mechanical processes such as crushing, cutting, drilling, grinding, sawing, or polishing natural stone or man-made products that contain silica. Last year, more than 350 people were diagnosed with silicosis, but health authorities fear, with the fashion of using more stone fittings in houses, this number is just the tip of the iceberg. Unions are calling for stronger regulations and enforcement as the first steps to ensure safe workplaces.
and in Iran, Labor activists have been forced into hiding. Last year, on the 21st of December, the 59-year-old Labor activist Parveen Mohammadi, who was sentenced in absentia to a year in prison on charges of sedition. Parveen has been involved in labour struggles right from her youth and back in 1981, she was one of the strike leaders when the workers at the Melly Shoe Company went on strike. She has subsequently been involved in a number of disputes at various workplaces. In 2009, Parveen joined the Union of Iranian Workers and has been a leading member of this organisation since then. While she's been arrested and detained before, the latest sentence is believed to be connected to her involvement in major activities in 2019. Parveen has now gone underground to avoid being sent to jail. There is an international campaign calling for the charges to be dropped. And moving now to Palestine, where Palestinians hope for justice in a new ruling. This week, on the 5th of February, the International Criminal Court confirmed that the court's jurisdiction covers Palestinians in the occupied regions of the West Bank and Gaza. This has raised hope for many Palestinians that this will provide a path for justice for many of the victims of Israeli repression. The International Criminal Court ruling also extends to any victims from Israel or any other nationality. This ruling does not just cover victims of war, but also other actions like forced transfer of people and illegal acquisition of land by settlers. Later this year, the ICC will detail the full scope of the court's mandate in Palestine. And going to the maritime industry, as reported last year, the standoff over coal shipments caught in the trade war between the Australian and Chinese governments had the unwanted effect of stranding hundreds of sailors on these cargo ships for months. Fortunately for one crew of 18 sailors, mostly on Indian origin on board the ship Anastasia, the nightmare is about to end with the ship's operator, the Mediterranean Shipping Company. Uh, that company is taking action to direct the shipmaster to proceed to nearby Japan to disembark and repatriate the crew. While this action by the ship's operator may be illegal, MSC, the Mediterranean Shipping Company, said that it was forced to do this so as to avert a humanitarian disaster as the crew was exhausted with food and medicine running low. The crews on another 60 similarly stranded ships are now seeing if this will become an option for them as well. And that's all we've got for news from around the region. We're going to go do some community announcements and then our recorded interview with Rick, a community activist from Thailand. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. 
go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs fly on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favourite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. 855 AM. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. Over the week, Pierre, who is not in the studio today, uh, recorded an interview with Rick, a community activist who's lived in Thailand for many years and who also has a history of solidarity with the pro-democracy movement in Myanmar. Pierre talks with Rick about the significance of the coup and its ramifications for the situation in Thailand. Rick, as an initial question, what do you think are the main reasons that the Myanmar military overthrew its own constitution and staged a military coup in the last week? Well, I think in simple terms, it's their carefully constructed, can we say their carefully constructed constitution failed. I mean, they were demolished at the ballot box in November. And really, they faced losing parliamentary control, and that's despite holding 25% of their automatically selected seats. And so the, the planned transition of the, the general minimum name from military t- retirement into the pre- presidency has pretty much collapsed. And, I mean, it, it reminds me a bit of the... Timor-Leste independence vote where the Indonesian regime was blindsided by the show of force at the ballot box and and that was in spite of the campaign of intimidation and so on. Uh, So I I had a bit of that feel that they were shocked by what happened and I I mean I can see that perhaps the public health crisis of the COVID pandemic could be exploited. It's, It's a good time to suppress public protest. And, and particularly as the use of like violence repression, it's increasingly difficult in these sort of digital times. So in, in general, while the, the coup, we can say it's certainly demoralising for Myanmar's pro-democratic forces, but I think it, it still carries huge risks for the military. 
Well, we'll certainly see how it uh, it plays out, and obviously there's uh, mass protests going on as we speak. And one of the interesting mm. uh, images that have come out from these mass protests against the coup in Myanmar has been the three-finger salute that has been used by the um, anti-military and anti-monarchy activists in Thailand over the last year. Is this just an issue mm -hmm. of imagery, or are there actual links between the two movements in both countries? I, I mean, at, at the initial, we can say it's, it's imagery, it's inspiration. It's inspired from the Thai movement. Um, and the, the three-finger salute, I, I mean, sometimes its significance is downplayed due to that popular culture reference to the, the Hunger Games. But it does, it's, importantly, it emerged in Thailand as a sign of defiance to the 2014 coup. So it, it was built, it, it was used initially as an anti-coup symbol. Uh, so I, I think the relevance there is, is quite important. Um, I, the other thing is that the, the new political movement in Thailand has shown stronger regional solidarity than, than we've commonly see and particularly the interconnected younger generation and I, I mean I invite listeners to just get on that, that wonderful Twitter and look up the hashtag of Milk Tea Alliance and we can see already that Burmese activists have now joined this Milk Tea Alliance which formed through Taiwanese, Hong Kong and Thai activists um, sort so of developing an online solidarity. Um, so we, we can see that there's there's different new forms of connection that are occurring. Um, but even in the old style, at the, the recent protests at the Burmese embassy in Bangkok saw Burmese and Thai activists uh, fighting side by side. Uh, in fact, there were three Thai activists arrested there. Um, yeah, and, and of course there's a historically strong and sometimes complex links with many of the 88th generation of Burmese activists found asylum in Thailand and developed very close links. And similarly, on the Thai-Burma border with Karen, Shan, Kachin, and, and more recently Rohingya uh, refugees and political movements that, that have been supported in Thailand. I think we can say that there's a, a challenge as well for the Burmese movement uh, coming out of this. So whilst the the electoral and constitutional struggles are at the, the heart of this. Um, the issue of like, et ethnic reconciliation is still unresolved. So while, while there's opposition to the coup um, in Thailand, as well as uh, amongst the ethnic minority states in, uh, inside Myanmar, it doesn't actually coincide necessarily with uh, full support for the NLD. So the inter-ethnic and the international solidarity is still clouded to a degree by issues of federalism and the persecution of the Rohingya. Yes, that will be an interesting um, uh, issue to um, look in the coming weeks and months. But um, and we'll get back to what it means to the movement, especially in Thailand. But uh, and you mentioned about we've mentioned about the. Uh, anti-military uh, activists in both countries, but are there actually links between the Myanmar military and the Thai military? 
Um, at, it's interesting. At the protest in front of the Burmese embassy in Bangkok, the, the Thai regime, they rolled out the riot squad, which was a sign of the least tacit support for the Myanmar coup. But, of course, there's historical tensions that go back to the Ayutthaya eras and uh, there's been a long history of border tensions. So relations between the Thai and Myanmar military have never been terribly smooth. But we can see that in the last, in, since the, the Thai coup in the, within the last decade, there's been a shift in regional allegiances. I mean, certainly a pivot to China for Thailand away from the US and other Western states has occurred, which has aligned it more to the Myanmar military. But we can also see that the Thai military, they've developed these regional allegiances, even with Cambodia, Laos and Vietnam, and we see many anti-coup and anti-monarchist, uh, anti-monarchy activists have, have disappeared. Um, due to the lack, the shift in support within these countries. And, and even with Myanmar, the discussions around repatriation of refugees out of the, the camps on the Thai-Burma Thai border have been signals of, of closer ties. And, and while there's been a number of pro-government media figures in the last week, they've sort of sought to differentiate the coup in Myanmar from the Thai... 2014 coup, but I, I think we can say that the two militaries they're increasingly resembling one another. And of course, that uh, brings us to the next question, where you've mentioned the coup in in, in Thailand. Um, what effect do you think this coup will have on the thinking of the Thai monarchy and Thai military about how to act in Thailand? Um, I think, well, the election results and, and the matcha of defiance, which we've seen in the last week, it's, it's on a far larger scale than we're seeing with the, the Thai movement. So, and, and while they're tacitly supporting the coup, I, I would say that the Thai military and monarchy would be very nervous at the moment, particularly due to the political context behind what's happened there. Um, the, the, Thai, the Thai regimes used very similar models of constitutional manipulation to maintain political power. There's a lot of resemblances within the, the current constitutions. And um, both the Thai and the Myanmar politics, so from the last election in Myanmar and the current political movement in Thailand, constitutional change is at the heart of both movements. So I, I think that, that they would see this as potentially a threat, um, not just symbolically. Um, and, and we've seen that in Thailand, the, the, very, the highly nationalistic network monarchy has been enormously destabilised by the pro-democracy protest movement. And this is not just in method. So the, the non-violent, decentralised, the autonomous cells, the hybrid, digital and mass action and... And they're very clever, sort of playful and creative techniques, which which draws on ideas from the Hong Kong movement, but has also created new ideas. That that's shaken up the Thai system, and 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 also ideologically, that they are fundamentally challenging the systems and structures and cultures that sustain that historic hegemony of the, the military and monarchy system. 
Well, you've really um, almost covered my final question that we've talked about the movement in, in Myanmar, about the militaries. But uh, so where does this leave the Thai popular movement? Um, how are they evaluating the coup in Myanmar and possible implications for them? I'd, I'd say it's still early to read this. Um, and, and while we can say that the coup may have been sort of initially successful for the generals in terms of the, the takeover and the, the arrest of the uh, political leadership of the NLD, the, the scale of the protest movement, it suggests that the, the freedoms that they'd won over, over the decade, um, they won't be given up easily. And I think this provides a lot of inspiration and a lot of strength to the, the Thai movement. Um, and, and also seeing um, some of the techniques and tactics used in Thailand being transferred to, to Myanmar, it, it starts to open up level of, of regional solidarity that is, is fairly sporadic in ASEAN. Um, so I, I think there's a, a lot of mutual solidarity and support that's being sort of generated through this. Um, yeah, the, the time movement, they'll gain belief in the validity of their politics. I, I can see it giving confidence to the Thai movement. But we're, we're yet to see how it plays out um, if the, the protests in, in Myanmar are crushed and resistance is, is silenced, it, it might turn another way. Well, um, thank you for that explanation, um, uh, Rick, and that uh, very good overview of uh, what's happening in both countries and the various links that may or may not be happening. So we'll certainly keep abreast with the struggle over the next few weeks and months. So thank you um, again, Rick. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that. And that was Rick, a community activist who has lived in Thailand with a long history of solidarity and pro-democracy in Myanmar. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434-136-501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434-136-501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. and not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au.
And that is all we've got time for for Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday. Huge thank you to the staff at 3CR, to all of you listeners, and of course to my co-host who's not here today, Pierre. Um, and coming up next, so stay tuned to 3CR um, for the rest of the uh, weekend. Um, and coming up next is Palestine Remember. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.